Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess. I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hey, welcome back again. I hope that you're doing well. Today, I want to talk about, well, I want to continue exploring about what archaeology is, what it is for me, and how I, I do sort of see myself moving forward through the, the profession. And I want to talk about this because I, this is going to interact a little bit with capitalism and consumer culture, and I want to talk about the constant pressure to do more, be more, think bigger, um, aim higher, all that stuff. Because as I continue to think about what it is that I want to do, what I want to accomplish, where I'm going, all of that stuff, um, I'm I'm realizing how how much I don't want to to do the bigger and better thing. <laughs> I don't necessarily want to aim for the high ranking office position that are that the positions that are so coveted because well I have reasons and I'm going to explain them. So I'm going to start by identifying that there are two kinds of archaeology. There is academic or research-based archaeology, and there is cultural resource management or CRM archaeology. And so the academic stuff is the, the research stuff that you do through a university. This is where um, the, the, the you know, big academic papers and that sort of thing come from. And, and so that's a totally different kind of archaeology from CRM archaeology, which is a development-driven sort of um, enterprise. So we don't go out actively looking for projects because we think that they're fun and cool. We go out because somebody wants to build on this part of this spit of land, and we have to make sure that there either there is no archaeology here, or if there is, we are tasked with mitigating it before the project carries forward. And there is a little bit of overlap sometimes between CRM and academic archaeology because I've definitely been on projects before where it was a CRM excavation, but um, graduate students from the local university were able to take the data that were collected as part of that excavation and build their master's projects around it. But that's not that common. A lot of times when we've finished excavating materials and stuff, they go, they get packed up, they get analyzed in a lab. And so a report is written that is sent into the ministry to be uh, kept on file about what was there. But there's nothing typically really scientific coming out of it. And then those artifacts are simply stored away for eternity <laughs> or until somebody comes along and wants to look at them or whatever. So there's not a huge academic application for materials that are found in a CRM context versus materials that are found in a research context where someone was specifically going out to, to gather data to write uh, research on it. So that's the big difference between the two. So the type of archaeology that I do is the CRM stuff. This is 
probably 95% of archaeologists do CRM work. There's not nearly as much um, activity in academic archaeology as there is in CRM. It's just the way it is. Because, I mean, you know, we're constantly developing land. So there's lots of work to be had. Um, so basically the way that the structure of CRM archaeology works is that you start out as a field technician and I will let you know if you have any interest in doing archaeology that you do not have to have a background in archaeology to do this job. Um, you can be hired with any level of experience in any other profession. Um, and basically the requirements that you're going to want to meet are like being physically fit. <laughs> you're going to want to be pretty fit and active and having a good attitude. Those are basically your two main criteria. Um, if you if you don't have so yeah if you don't have a background in archaeology don't don't sell yourself short of the idea that you could potentially do archaeology too because you can um, so there's the field technician is sort of the base position and then you can become a senior field technician which is just basically somebody who's been field teching for longer and has more experience and so that usually comes with a bit of a wage increase and then you can become a field director. Now, this is a little more challenging if you don't have a background in archaeology or any educational background whatsoever. Um, you have to have an undergraduate degree to get a license to do archaeology, to, to oversee a crew, to be a field director. And now I will add that this is a provincially... Um, regulated systems. So each province and territory has their own set of requirements to do this. So exceptions include like British Columbia, where you don't have to have an undergrad or any kind of educational background, but you have to have a lot of experience. In Ontario and like other provinces, you kind of have to have a bit of both. So it's a combination of experience and education. Um, in Ontario, you you can get a license with an undergraduate degree in something other than archaeology and anthropology, but it is a little bit more challenging to do it that way. So ideally, you have an archaeology or anthropology bachelor's degree, plus you've been in the field for, they have a certain number of days, I can't remember what the number of days are, but you have to have a certain number of days in the field, you have to have a certain number of days in the lab, you have to have some supervisory hours, and you have to have had your name or have to have co-authored a report and have your name on a report in the ministry. Those are the sort of the basic requirements to get a license in Ontario. Then you can become a field director. And that's where you're the person who runs a crew on a site and oversees the, the excavation or the, either the survey that's happening or the excavation of a site that's going on. So that's sort of your highest ranking field position. Um, and I mean, you can become maybe like a, a senior field director and then you would help train other field directors. Um, but that's basically as high as you get before you go into an office position. And so there is as obviously as you get higher ranking competition gets more stiff. And so you'll find that there is sometimes, um, a backlog in people who are qualified to be in an office position versus the actual number of positions that are available. And so this can be challenging for people because, because yeah, I mentioned in a previous, my previous episode about, um, 
about archaeology that, you know, a lot of people are brought into this profession because they like being outdoors and, and doing the digging and that sort of stuff. And that's not necessarily true of 100% of people, but it's true for a lot of people. But there is that instability of being a field worker, even as a field director, um, you know, there is the possibility that your employer will be, um, will value you enough and will have the opportunity to provide you with year round work, but that's not always the case. So even at that position, you might still be seasonal and it's still going to pretty much always be, as far as I know, it's pretty much always going to be, um, hourly wage. So you're not getting a salary at that point either. And, it's weather contingent. So, I mean, again, as far as I'm aware, as a field director, you probably can keep yourself busy, even if it is like a day when you can't go out into the field, but you're still tied to that. So if for some reason you can't keep yourself busy or your employer can't find work for you, there's the potential that you're going to see that reflection in your paycheck. So there is a level of instability even at a, a position of field director. And this is going to depend totally on you as the individual, your employer, and the situation that you're, that, that all of that stuff sits within. So it's not a hard and fast rule, but there is, again, there's often a push from people. People often feel this pressure to get out of those positions because once you do get to an office position, then there is, it's very stable the stability jumps tr dramatically from, from one position to the next because then you're, I mean, yeah, it, again, it's not totally guaranteed, but you're much more likely to be given a priority for work as it comes in. So you're more likely to have sustainable work throughout the whole year and you're going to be seeing this reflected your value reflected in the income that you make doing this so again there's this this it's sort of a hierarchical thing um, it's a stepping ladder and there's always the push to be doing the office job despite the fact that perhaps well I know for for lots of people their preference is to be in the field but Again, this instability, the the lower pay, all that stuff sort of forces people out of that job. Um, and also even people age out of it physically. I mean, it's it's a very field teching and even directing are very physically demanding jobs. So you have to be in shape. And honestly, I think people underestimate their ability to do this stuff. It seems really intimidating and difficult, um, especially because like the first two weeks you go in the field, seasonally even, but especially the first two weeks you're in the field ever, it is very hard on your body. You're going to hurt in all kinds of places that you never even knew could hurt. <laughs> you're going to be bruised and banged up. It's, it's going to be a thing, but you push past it and it, becomes very rewarding and you can see how capable you are, how capable your body is um, and able to do these things. But again, at some stage for a lot of people, it becomes too much and our bodies get worn down. We abuse them a lot. <laughs> so it's no longer a viable option for lots of people, or at least they think that it's not. They think, I don't know, I can't tell if it's, if people really do, I'm sure, I know certain people have been injured in the field, and so that's set, laid them up and put them in a position where they, they really legitimately can't continue doing field work. But at some stage, I think some people even just tell themselves that they've aged out of it, because that's just what you expect to happen. <laughs> but I mean, I, I work with people who are much older than I am, 
and uh, they're still going strong in the field, and that's that's good. It's great for them. I mean, I, I think that's very valuable. So where this concerns where I fit in, I mentioned in the last episode that I don't really know where I'm going in this field. I'm not totally sure what, what I'm doing, but I have a sense of what I want to do, and it's becoming clearer to me as time goes on. Because, again, it's hard to quiet the noise from the internal and external pressures to just keep aiming to do better and do more. And so there is one side of me that says, well, I should be pushing to get an office job. I should be pushing to try to be in office. Because, like, for example, this year, I, I've not really had any work. I've had a little bit of field work and my company has been nice enough to provide me with a, a, a small, tiny bit of work I can do from home. But if I had an office job, all those people are working from home this year. They haven't seen even a, like a dip in their work so far this year because they've just carried forward with with um, home from homework. And obviously, I can't do that. <laughs> There's no possibility of excavating a unit or, or taking a shovel test from home. So on one hand, I think, you know, it would obviously provide me a little bit more stability in my income and even being able to be working if I were to have an office position. But when I... And so that's a... Sorry, that's a... a small example of like one of the reasons why I think that. And there are lots of reasons why I think that. But again, I, I find a lot of it is just like external pressure to do that because that's what you're expected to do. Um, but when I look at what I love the most about my job, it's the digging. It's the being outside. I love getting to hike into a spot and have my shovel in hand. And like, I'm really strong. You know, I'm, I'm a very physically fit person. So I'm good at this job in, in the actual physical labor of it. And I love that. So when I think about what do I actually really want, I don't particularly want to have an office job. I don't want to be sitting around all day doing computer-based stuff. I like the physicality of my job. I also really love doing sort of mentorship stuff and teaching and sort of relating to other people. And I've had a taste for that when I did my master's project. I was working with an indigenous community up north, and I was training local youth on on um, archaeological methods and lab methods and stuff. And so I I realized then that you know I was I was pretty good at this, and I really liked doing it. So going forward, ideally, I can get myself to a place where like. I can become a mentor for for junior techs or a trainer for people as they're entering the company or whatever, right? Like these are things that I think about potentially doing. I have no idea if they're ever going to ask me to do it, but it's stuff that I can actively work towards getting better at and making them aware that I want to do this um, and sort of setting the stage for potentially doing that as I go forward. As I've mentioned a couple of times, this year in particular has not been a good one for field work and that's fine. And I'm starting to accept that like, 
again, which what I, the very one of the very first things that I said on this podcast was having it all, but not having it all right now, because it's not possible. It's not possible for me to have my job to be doing this work while living through a global pandemic and not having access to childcare. And so these are some of the things where I have to just accept that this is the life that I've chosen for myself and it's okay to carve your own path and to do things in a way that simply works for you, even if it's not what everybody else would do, even if it's not the timeline that you necessarily thought you were going to be moving at, it's all good. Of course, I am pretty privileged in the sense that it's not, there's not a huge amount of pressure on me to provide for my family financially because Nick has a stable income. Ideally, we've identified both of us that long term, we would like to have the balance a little bit more equal between the two of us in terms of providing for our family and being working and stuff like that. But at the moment, it works okay to have him doing most of bringing in most of our income and me focusing on getting the kids through the early years. And so it's not to say that I'm never going to push to be promoted or that I'm never going to try to elevate myself within my career, but I do think there's something to be said for just taking your time and and getting really good at something before you have to move through it. It's not a, it's not for me, it's not a race. And that is a tough one for me personally to face because we especially okay i'm i'm horrible for going on social media and seeing what other people are doing and then comparing their journey to my journey i mean that's just just the silliest thing to do but we i do it lots of people do it um and so i see other people progressing rapidly through their careers and in particular if i see someone progress rapidly through an archaeology career it can be very difficult to step back and go, no, that's not you. That's not your life. That's not what you want. Do you really want that? No. Uh, and so you have to be able to engage in this sort of internal conversation where you can remind yourself of essentially your why. What's your why? Why are you doing this? Why do you want to do that? You know, if you did do that, why would that be? What would, get, what would you get out of it? asking yourself some questions to get at what you really want because it is easy it's very easy to look at other people's lives especially because with social media and stuff it's just a highlight reel it's just them showing you all of the nice parts of their life and not the struggle and the challenges that they face necessarily so it's easy to look at those things and think wow isn't that nice wouldn't that be nice <laughs> you know ooh how fancy but like what did they do to get there and is it really all that it's cracked up to be um is there a downside to this is there is there a negative side to what this person is experiencing are they having to make concessions and do things in a way that they don't really want to in order to accommodate that perhaps not perhaps some people have it have you know lots of 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 money and authority at their jobs and they're totally happy with it and there's no problem there whatsoever that happens but uh a lot of times it's, it's and this is just me from me gathering information from other people and hearing other people's stories. That's not always the case. And often people feel, I think, 
Like, they've been blindsided by the fact that, like, they were incentivized to take on this position and then suddenly they realize how much more responsibility they have to keep people happy or to, to um, you know, give their, their personal time to this job. And then it, you kind of sit back and wonder if maybe you could have stayed where you were. Um, but, you know, again, we have this social script for how our lives are supposed to go. We're supposed to get the education and ideally it gets us a job and then we so we can pay down our student loans and then we focus on getting the car and the house and having getting married and having the kids or whatever and so there is this fairly rigid social script that exists um, and lots of people are not following that path but then there's a sense of, of personal shame and and a sense of like you have to hide when you don't do this stuff or you have to you have to justify it to your family or to your friends why you're doing things a little differently because there's an expectation that you're going to do it this way and when you don't it doesn't really make any sense to people <laughs> um and especially because this is, this is a capitalist society we are capitalists we are meant to generate money for the economy. We are meant to put that money back into the economy through consumption. And we have a little thing called conspicuous consumption, which is is just rampant at this point. It was when I was growing up and I, I, I you know, think about my kids growing up in the society that we live in now, where again, you, you have so much access to what other people are doing with their lives, but not the nuanced nitty gritty details of their lives. You just have the the pretty fancy stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, we're constantly being confronted by what other people are doing and what they're buying. And um, it's hard not to get caught up in that, to not get caught up in wanting to also be good consumers and have those pretty clothes and the designer stuff and the newest technology and the, the the newer car and the bigger house. It's hard not to want those things. Um, but if you are going to go on this sort of alternative route and deprioritize the job in order to prioritize the family or whatever else that you've got going, even if it's not for family, if it's just that you'd rather not invest your whole life in your job, um, those things may not be accessible to you. They may not be as accessible to you. It may be, um, a, it, you may have to make the conscious choice to not engage in such a consumer culture um, because you you can't afford it or whatever. You're trying to put more money into your savings and stuff. So it's, it's a difficult balance to strike where you are able to, to sort of live the life that you want to live, but also not push yourself so far that you you end up doing things or or having things that just make you less happy. Um, it's hard not to chase chase the paycheck. It's hard not to chase um, the the consumption of of material things in order to signal to others that you you have the paycheck to support it. Um, those things are very, very challenging because that's what a lot of our culture is based around is, is conspicuous consumption, signals of status, and uh, proving your value through your, your economic productivity, um, which is why we still sort of value or devalue motherhood in general. You know, 
it's becoming more of a, a thing where people identify that like raising children is a job in itself and it's undervalued, but you can continue to say it's undervalued and it doesn't increase its value at all. You're just identifying the problem. <laughs> so, so we do still undervalue it as a job. Um, and we're still always pushing to try to um, prove ourselves economically valuable through the, the monetary system and through the system of, of labor. But um, yeah, so trying to reject some of those, those ideas and just go slow and take your time and not force yourself to do more than what you actually want to do. And maybe you do want to do these things. I'm not trying to tell you what you should and shouldn't do with your life. I'm just saying if for some reason you feel like you're doing more than you wanted to or you're being pushed into doing things that you don't want to do, it's okay to say no. To say, you know what, I'm good where I am. I don't need that promotion. I can continue to live my life the way that I am without you know, having to keep spending more and buying more and owning more. Um, maybe you want to put more money into savings and so you take the promotion for that reason. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's it's just the world exists very differently in reality than it does in your head. <laughs> and I can identify that too. But so, but I know I, for myself, and I'm sure for others, there there it feels like there's a lot of pressure to keep up into and to you know, buy into all of the the stuff. And so really separating myself away from that helps to realize that, you know, I don't have to push and push and push in my career for bigger and better simply because it results in a higher paycheck. There is a lot of prestige attached to a higher paycheck, but I don't really think that it increases your happiness as an individual. I don't think, I think this is something that the capitalist system tells us that we're supposed to do in order to fulfill ourselves, but then we end up getting there. And so this is where the stories that I've heard from people who get there and they go, well, shit, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And now I'm miserable because I can't enjoy my life, et cetera, et cetera. So and I've seen people get into these like very high ranking, powerful, prestigious positions and then leave them because they go, yeah, that wasn't for me. And that to me takes a ton of courage. That is very admirable. And even the people who, again, the people who get pushed and pushed and pushed into taking on higher level positions when they say, no, thanks, I'm good. That's also admirable to me because that is not the way that we're programmed to think about this stuff. We're programmed to think about our careers and where we're going with our lives as being a constant progression forward. And there is something to be said for just sort of sitting with what you have and where you are and figuring out what it is that you want with your life and then going for that rather than I guess, in some senses, just going along with the script that we're given, going along with with the culture that exists around us and not evaluating and critis or critically evaluating it in any way to really understand what it is that we want for ourselves. I don't want to be married to my job at this stage of my life. I have to push back on my own mind a lot in order to get at the fact that that's not actually what I want. 
I am told that that's what should, I should want because I'm an intelligent, uh, driven, ambitious person. And so people who think like I do, people who um, experience the world like I do, um, especially now in my life, will feel this pressure to to do the bigger and better and to, to, to do something with a lot of prestige attached to it. But I don't actually want that. And again, it's, so it's hard to balance out what I actually need to be doing, what I need to be accomplishing, what I truly want to be accomplishing, and then also accepting that over time things change. And so we have these sort of seasons that we live in. And so for now, I can accept that I don't actually want to advance out of my field position. I'd like to be advanced to a slightly higher ranking field position than where I am now. And that's something I know I can work towards. Um, but I don't want to, to rank out of that position entirely at this stage. As I go on, as the, the burden of care for my children alleviates over time, that might change. It probably will change, but I might change what, you know, career, I want to be in entirely by then. Who knows what will happen? But I, I, I see a lot of value in really sitting down to ask yourself, what do I want? What do I want to accomplish right now? What do I need to accomplish right now? What is a necessity? What is a want? And how do I get to the best of my ability at both of those things? And you might surprise yourself. I surprised myself when I sat down and evaluated it. And again, I don't totally know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen for me, particularly because at this point in the world, there's a, a severe lack of control over our lives. And that a, 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 takes a fair bit of letting go. But, but again, getting at what you think might be an option for you and forward thinking. I also tend to get caught up in backwards thinking and thinking about opportunities that have been missed or things that I passed on that I went, oh yeah, I could have done that and it would have set me up for X, Y, or Z. But letting go of that stuff too and just thinking about where am I now? Where do I think I want to go and how am I going to get there? And then just being open to things unfolding a little bit more naturally for you. That's what I mentioned in the last episode too, is, is patience and letting things unfold naturally. And I think those two points still stand in this conversation as well. I am going to leave it there for today. I felt like I needed to do a little bit of a deeper exploration of where I am in my, in my career and what it looks like. And doing that self-exploration to sort of get a better sense of what it is that you want to do, what you want to accomplish, and how you might start to work towards those goals or those those potential accomplishments. Um, of course, we don't ever want to get too tied to these things because you never know what opportunity is awaiting you that may not fit totally into your idea, but um, but might be a good fit for you. So yeah, like I said, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much again for joining me. 
Hopefully you found some nuggets in this episode to help you. And if you have anything you want to add to the conversation, as always, you can find my information in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a rating and a review. Otherwise, I will see you in the next one.